We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have Dr. Jim Knight on the program today. If you don't know who Jim Knight is, you're missing out. But if you are interested at all in coaching your teachers, which I know many of you are, then Jim is definitely one that you want to connect with. He is the founder of the Impactful Coaching. And if you know of the Impactful Coaching cycle, it is the Identify, Learn, Improve cycle that um, many of our guests have have talked about, and he's been a big influence to education, so it's an honor to have him on the program today. So, Jim, welcome to Transformative Principle. Happy to have you. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. 
Yeah. So um, you have, you know, been around the block for ages on this idea of uh, instructional coaching and how important it is. And uh, so we're in a pandemic. Things have been totally different. What have you seen as successful around coaching during the pandemic? Well, the first thing I'd say is just getting through is a huge victory. Just survival is not to minimize it because people are worried about uh, their health and they're worried about their role, what their job is. They're worried about their family members. They're worried about economics. And then in the midst of this, we've had an awakening around uh, race, uh, sort of a reckoning, not to mention a lot of political chaos. So this is a really, really tough time. I think for many people, it's the worst, most challenging, worst maybe isn't the right word, but the most challenging time of their lives. You know, in, in, in my life, I've never seen so many different things come together that are problematic. So just getting through in and of itself is a, is a great accomplishment. And then I would say for leaders, not to lose sight of that, that just getting through is really, I know there's people feel all kinds of pressure to, you know, we don't want to let students down. But, uh, you know, if a teacher is worried about her mom who was exposed to the virus or whose partner has uh, just lost their job or, you know, they're not going to be at their best. And a lot of people are not at their best. And so it has this kind of ping pong effect of making things tough. So to me, the first most successful thing to do is to express compassion and support and let people know that we're there for them. We believe in them and we have to give ourselves a little compassion too. Now, having said that, one thing that's interesting is the job is redefined during this time because there's so much to learn so quickly. And so like someone uh, I interviewed in uh, May said that her teacher said to, you know, six weeks ago, I'd never heard of Zoom. <laughs> Everybody knows about Zoom now. And so you think of all the things people have had to learn and had to deal with and a different understanding of achievement, even to some extent, but certainly what engagement looks like, how to engage, what people do. And so a lot of what coaches ha has, have had to do is to really move more into a mentoring role than a coaching role. And I sort of see coaches as having three things they could do. They could be mentors. When you're a mentor, you have more expertise than the other person. You're telling them how to use or do something. So I'm trying to figure out Flipgrid, and my coach just says, let me tell you how to use it. I'll get you going. And then um, if you're a trainer, which would be the second category, what you spend your time doing is um, helping people learn things. So I'm going to do a little 20-minute talk on Mentimeter. If you want to learn how to use it, get online, and I'll be there to explain it to you. And the third thing is coaching. And when you're coaching, there's a goal you're trying to hit. And so in the virtual world, that goal would be things like, I can't tell if my kids are listening or not they're engaged. I have no measure of engagement. I mean, I really want to know that my students are with me. And the coach says, well, let's figure out how to measure that. Let's figure out strategies for ensuring kids are engaged. Let's work on that goal. That's coaching. And so coaches would have ordinarily done goal-directed work. We're now spending more time in those other two categories. And rightfully so. This is a time that has really proven the importance of coaches because coaches are helping people uh, learn is uh, so many different things that people need to learn right now. 
Well, and one concern is that many districts are going to be facing budget shortfalls this year. And so coaching positions I know have already been eliminated from people that I've talked with. And so how can you create those opportunities for coaching, even if you don't have a full-time instructional coach on your staff because of budget cuts? What are some ways to increase that opportunity for teachers to get coaching from each other and from experienced teachers? Well, if you have a violin in your house, uh, you can't have it played without a violinist. You need somebody to, to play the violin. And you can't cut coaching and say, how do we still keep coaching if we've cut coaching? So the question becomes one of priorities because have they cut athletic coaches? or only instructional coaches. So what are the priorities? Where, where, where's the money go to do what it has to do? And now coaches who aren't helping teachers set and hit powerful goals that make significant differences in kids' lives, positive, unmistakably positive impact. If that's not happening, it's probably not a good use of resources to put money into coaching that's not changing things. But coaching that does change is saying status quo isn't good enough and we need, need to make it work. And here's why I think people should keep coaching going. First off is when you think about the things you've learned where you really internalized it and sustained the learning and made it a part of what you do and it changed what you did, you didn't get it from a webinar or a workshop. You got it in real life application. You said, I have to figure this out. I have to work it in. And coaching helps teachers embed that in real life learning. And they do it by having the teachers set a goal. So once I set a goal that really matters to me as a teacher, now I'm in real life situation. And now the coach is helping me learn how to use this kind of cooperative learning activity or restorative justice or whatever it might be, but it's grounded in real life application. And unless we recognize that to get good at something requires that real life application of learning, our professional development won't have an impact. So I would say the first thing I would argue is you, you need to keep your coaches if you really want practice to improve. Not going to happen by chance. Now, if you, that doesn't mean that administrators and other people in the school can't take a coaching approach. So one thing is you can do, we have a whole program now on video peer coaching where teachers video, teachers video each other and they have a process for coaching each other. During the little workshop we do, they, they, they video record, they get together, they essentially do the impact cycle, and they work with each other. And principals can take a coaching approach. They can do some elements of coaching, like the way they listen, the way they ask questions. They can even follow a bit of a coaching process. But the really deep implementation of learning, it's hard to do without a coach, just like um, hard to teach without a teacher in the classroom. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's it's easy to think, well, we can just, you know, find some other way to do that, which is what people continue to ask me is, well, how can I still make this happen, even though this has been cut? And if you're going to cut something, then it's not going to happen anymore. So that's an important thing. I'm glad you you brought that up. As you think about this idea of, you mentioned that needs to be grounded in real life practice and said when, when a teacher sets a goal that really matters, that uh, gives a sense that a district plan to have teachers get better in a certain thing 
uh, doesn't sound like it's as effective as a teacher deciding that she wants to get better in a certain thing. How do you balance the demands of a district with allowing teachers to set their own goals and do what they want when the district is saying, this is what our teachers need to get better in, and the teacher is saying, I'm not really ready or interested in that yet. I want to focus on this thing. How do you how do you reconcile and balance those things? Well, the goal is not um, a strategy or what the goal is or the outcome is what's going to have the the greatest positive impact on children's learning and children's well-being. And so to me, the decision on what happens should be based on uh, what's best for kids and, uh, you know, what's the quickest way to get there. And I frequently, I'm going to do it today, actually. We have an online virtual course that starts this week. I do this activity where I ask people to uh, identify a, a change they've made in their life that really made a difference that they internalized that they started what, what made that goal become achievable? Why was it it worked so far? Having done this a lot of times, nobody has said to me, my district told me my goal was to put objectives on the blackboard and I've kept doing it. I've never heard somebody say somebody else gave me the goal and I did it. Um, the goal is something that has to be emotionally compelling for it to be, to really be implemented. If you have a goal people don't really care about, you might get compliance. You may get kind of weak implementation, but unless I care about the goal, compliance is the best you can hope for. If you really want committed, deep implementation, you need a goal that the person has a voice in setting. If it doesn't matter to them, it's not going to happen. And then, you know, people can test it out on themselves. How excited are they about other goals that have been given to them versus ones they choose for themselves? So what I would say, if you're going to do a district focus and you say, this is what our focus needs to be, the more teachers have a voice in what it is and the more control they have over what happens, the more likely they are to be committed to it. We did a thing with a school district in Lincoln, Nebraska, or a school in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, a school was uh, identified as a persistently low-achieving school. And... We observed every class. We gathered data on what happened every class. And what we saw in this elementary school was that transition time was 22%. So one out of every five minutes was wasted time. And we shared the data. And there was other things we observed too. How was all the time spent in the classroom? And the school committed to the goal. We want to reduce our transition time down to 5%. But they got to vote. And they were all interviewed before we did it. There was a real deep, careful time in which we involved everybody. And also the principal was a very strong leader. She was like, we have to pick something we're going to do. And we have to be all involved. And they set the goal and they shrunk transition time from 22% down to 5% or 4%. And their scores went up by almost exactly that much on the state, Nebraska state assessments. They went from being a persistently low achieving school to the the school in the first paragraph and the articles in the newspaper about changes in the school district and what was happening. But that's because everybody had a voice. Everybody had a say, they had a vote. And I interviewed people afterwards and they said to me, well, I didn't really choose this, but I saw it was the will of the group. So I'm going to go along with it. And that's, that's the way in which it works. But the, tr the trouble with not having the coaching part is without the follow-up, you probably won't get the implementation you need. So I think you can do it, but there, the goal needs to be, if the goal isn't one people care about, it's probably not going to happen. I think that's the, that's the issue. So whatever your process is, it has to lead to a goal that people are committed to implementing. I think that's it. If you can bring a whole school together 
around a goal that matters to them and they can hit it, that is a powerful, positive cultural event or a team where they set the goal. But if they don't care about the goal, not much is going to happen. Yeah. Well, and that, so that makes me think about how much we as leaders talk about vision and goals and mission statements and these things. And sometimes it seems that those are, you know, created by committee, wordsmith to death. Nobody remembers what they are and they end up not meaning anything. So when it comes to that, you know, I tell principals, you should have a vision for your school that is separate and distinct from what the district is. It should align to it, sure, but you need to have your own vision. Otherwise, you're if you're not bought into the district vision, you need to have something that compels you to move forward. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. So what would your advice be around setting those kinds of things? And secondarily, how does the principal then get teachers to be part of that conversation to the point where they are invested in the outcome? For example, if I were a teacher in that school and my transitions were crisp already, I would feel like that was wasted time to be talking about this goal of transitions because mine are already top of the class. So how invested am I going to be in that goal that's going to be the issue with any goal. I mean, uh, you're going to have some people who've knocked it out of the park and some people who are just beginning. And those people who have got transition time that's less than 5% would be working on a different kind of goal. I think the thing is that uh, first off, I would say that this is complex work. And uh, if what you're doing is working, keep doing it, <laughs> whatever it might be. But my general sense would be that you you need to have transparent and honest conversations about what's happening you need to face reality and uh if you know if there's a voice in your head that says this conversation we're going to have about mission and values and stuff i don't think it's really going to make a big difference then you need to come back with something that's that's really truly going to make a difference but you want to really be you know like how will we know there's i'll give you a really simple example with uh with goals for coaching you know, you could say my goal is I want my more higher order thinking in my classroom, but that, that's not a that's not a goal that's going to change much, because what does that really mean? What will be different if I do that, and how will we measure it, and what's the strategy to take me there? So, if you say I want more higher order thinking, well, I if I really want to achieve the goal, I need to know a path, I have to have a pathway to the goal. I have to know the way I put it is you have to have a finish line. When will I know I got there? If I don't know it, I can't see it. And the same thing happens collectively. 
It's not just enough to have a blanket statement. Uh, we need to know here are the specific things we're going to do. Here's how we're going to measure it. This is how we're going to get there. The other thing, though, and this is just my take on it based on our research. And um, like I said, if what you're doing is working, just ignore what I'm about to say. But I don't see myself as trying to get teachers to do something. I see myself as creating a context where teachers can flourish. And that means I'm not trying to persuade them really of anything. What I'm trying to do is put systems in place so they can, they can excel. And that's why coaching is so important because the coach meets what meets the teacher, talks to them like a professional, helps them set a powerful goal that will make an unmistakable positive impact on their lives. And I'm not trying to do a number on them or get them to do something. Motivational interviewing is a whole approach to, to th therapy that says much the same thing that resistance really isn't the issue. The issue is a misalignment. And so if I'm thinking something should happen and the teacher doesn't think it should happen, then I need to figure out where the teacher is. Now, this, if, it's, if they're unprofessional in what they do, that, that, that goes out the door. But assuming you know, if they're losing assignments or something, you just deal with that directly. But assuming they're professional, then I really want them to have a meaningful say in what they do. Otherwise, they're not going to be that committed to it. In fact, worse, it could lead to kind of a toxic culture where everybody complains and doesn't like it. Teachers want to make a difference. When you give them a chance to have a voice and make a difference, many times they'll just blow you away with what they can do. But they don't want to be told what to do. They don't want to be treated like they're unskilled laborers somewhere, told what to do. You know, they have, anybody knows, they have really sharp brains and they have, then they're skillful communicators. So they, they want to make a difference. And if you give them a chance, uh, you put a group of teachers together, you give them control over what they do, they'll, they'll blow you away with what they can do. Absolutely. That's what I've seen time and time again, that when they have that opportunity to make their own decisions and figure out what works best, they'll go above and beyond what, what we have suggested or what we had hoped for them. So um, I get that this works so well with teachers. Why don't we take the same approach when educating our children? When you know, the standards and the goals that we have for them, we really decide as the adults, why don't we take more of a coaching approach with children? Well, I don't know why we don't do it with teachers either. You know, I, I think, um, well, for one thing is, it's not as simple as I'm describing it. You know, it is messy. And you will have people who are grumpy, and who probably shouldn't be in the profession. They're a small number, but they can have a big impact. And just dealing with people is a really complex thing. And sometimes the ambiguity of not knowing what we're going to do, any solution sounds good, even if it's too simplistic. And so we, we sometimes grab onto a quick solution. But it is, you know, it's not knowing what the outcome will be. It's hard, I think, to say it's easier to do it with, with teachers, but it's hard to say, we're going to try a whole new approach to teaching your kids this year and just see how it goes. Like it's hard to make those kinds of changes because uh, the stakes are so high. You really want the kids to succeed. And this isn't so bad. I don't know if I really want to risk a whole. So I think it's, it's a, I don't blame people for being antsy about making a lot of change, but there are changes that can make a big impact. And that's where the coaching comes in. We, we look at evidence-based teaching practices and you do it. Um, 
I don't know. I think you should answer that question, Jethro. I'll let you answer that one. How do, why, why doesn't that? I, I, you know, I think it's a great question. I don't know really what the answer is. No, I, I think that your answer was probably pretty accurate, that we grab onto a quick solution and this isn't so bad. Um, and we're afraid of what could happen if we don't do it right. So in my school in Fairbanks, Alaska, we gave kids an hour and a half twice a week to work on something of their choosing. So they were setting their own goals had their own plans. And our goal as the staff was to not answer their questions directly and to just ask questions so they could figure out the problems for themselves. Um, not, not exactly like that, but to, mm. instead of saying, here's the answer, we would say, how could you find that answer? And what resources do you need to be able to do that? Which was challenging for our staff to do, but because it wasn't attached to their class, their core content area, they felt like they had the flexibility to do it. And what we ended up seeing was a lot of kids did way more than we could have expected had we given them the assignment and laid out the standards they were supposed to achieve. Other kids did mediocre and then other kids barely did anything. And so we had that whole range of kids, which honestly was the same as what we had in our regular classes. We had a whole range of kids who were just, you know, not doing anything to those who were excelling and exceeding the standards. And so I think really it goes back to what I'm doing now isn't so bad. And that seems more scary and risky. So I'm not sure that I want to approach that, even though we know with adults and it works with kids too, if given the opportunity to invest in something, they, they care a lot more about it. You know, I, I think um, a good example of the power of choice is the book, the, the book whisper where the author talks about giving kids a lot of control over the books they read so that they get reading and they just start doing it. Not to worry so much about what level they're at. The kids interested in architecture, let her go find all the books on architecture. She can to give kids control over their reading. And you know, the author's results are pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, as I read her comments, as they continue, sometimes it feels like, the issue is power. It's my class. I'm going to choose what book you read. And it's not really, it's really people are a little hesitant to give up that kind of control. Certainly not the case in every situation. And, and I, every educator I've ever met really wants good things for kids and is, really wants to see kids succeed. But, you know, power, power is a factor in this too, that sometimes it's, this is my class and this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think that's important also. And you you learn as you're going through school what the role of the teacher is, and it is a very powerful position. And it, it's easy to, I, I don't want to say let it go to your head, but I can't think of a better way to phrase right. it right now. But, you know, we, we get in that position. I've been guilty of that. And, you know, as kids, we heard adults say, because I said so all the time, and that's not the, the response that we want to give for everything. And yet sometimes that's, we can't think of a better response. And in the moment, it's really hard to come up with an answer to the question, why, if you don't know why yourself. And right. so, so I can appreciate that position. So in closing, what I'd like to ask you is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Well, first off, I just want to say thank you. I think the principal has the toughest job in the system and often not nearly appreciated enough. Their role is so important and everybody's got something for them to do. And it's exhausting. You know, just when you wanted to go do walkthroughs, some parent comes in for a 
two hour conversation about why isn't the food in the cafeteria organic, which isn't to say it shouldn't be organic, but still, you know, your, your, your days are always messed with and everybody has stuff for you to do. And there's enormous pressure because you want your kids to flourish and you want your school to, to, to do well. The first thing that came to mind, I probably could come up with a, a number of different things, but the first thing I, that came to mind would be to really work on listening, which is something I could do too. And, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but video record yourself listening, video record yourself listening to your children and to your partner. And, uh, it doesn't even have to be at work. Just make your mind up that you're going to practice listening. And then maybe at the end of the day, reflect on how did it go? You know, to me, um, and I would say on a scale of one to 10, I'm maybe a five in terms of how I listen, even though I've written several books and articles about it, but but I do think listening is a really, really critically important leadership skill. When you listen, you communicate respect and you learn and you make emotional connections. And when you just tell people what to do or give advice, sometimes the opposite happens. So that's, that's what comes to mind right now, listening. Well, I think listening is a, is a great idea and certainly to video record yourself listening because then you can go back and see what you looked like to someone else where when you're when you're just doing the listening yourself you're not paying attention to all the things that you're doing that are signaling that you don't care about what the person is saying and uh right <laughs> i i got some feedback about that myself and it was very powerful to to hear someone say uh when you listen and you're typing on your computer you're not really listening and you know from then on i made a point to close my laptop lid and give my undivided attention to someone that I was talking to and not be multitasking, which I didn't even realize I was doing it mm. at the time, but thankfully someone had the courage to, to tell me that. Well, I interrupt <laughs> you when we're talking about listening, but um, so I would say just a few small tips around that. One of them is it's not enough to hear the words. You have to look like you're here to hear the words. So your, your body language has to reflect the fact that you're listening. Secondly, don't interrupt despite the fact that I just interrupted. Uh, except sometimes you have to interrupt to say, like, we've only got two minutes left. And uh, avoid distracting things like tapping your pen or looking at your phone or checking your watch or whatever it might be. And then don't complete people's sentences. Let them let them finish them, their sentences. Um, respect what Susan Co Scott calls the sweet purity of silence. You know, just let them finish. So if you look like you're listening, don't interrupt. Don't do fidgety, distracting things. Uh, let them finish. That'll really help. Those are big steps forward. Easy to say, a lot harder to do. Absolutely. Um, it reminds me of a of an experience that I had where I was working with someone and uh, she was a sentence finisher and she finished every sentence that you said. And it was very distracting and very frustrating on the other side. And then when uh, we started meeting virtually because of the pandemic, then it was intensified because then the timing was off and the, <laughs> the conversation was even more disjointed. And, and thankfully, that actually taught her and showed her that she was finishing people's sentences. And so, um, so what I think she started doing, which I think is a great strategy, is she just muted herself and then she could still finish people's sentences because it was such a habit that had been ingrained for so long, but nobody was interrupted or bothered by that. And 
sometimes the the virtual meeting can actually be a benefit in in preventing some of our um, habits or ticks or whatever it is that we're doing. And and so I appreciate you adding that in because I think that's that's really an important addition to the conversation. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, easy to say, hard to do. Yes, for sure. Well, I really appreciate you being part of Transformative Principle. If you're on Twitter, you can follow Jim at Jim Knight 99 And you can, of course, go to his website, instructionalcoaching.com. And of course, read one of the many books that he's written on the subject of coaching and other things as well. Anything else that you'd like to plug or promote before we sign off, Jim? <laughs> no, that's great. But thank you so much for inviting me. And, uh, and thanks to anybody who might hear this. I'm uh, grateful for the people who have the courage to lead. It's, a, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's just extremely important. So I'm grateful for it. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy, and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.